Welcome to the 378th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. Stay tuned for my interview with author Monica Rodden, author of the new novel Monsters Among Us. Stay tuned for the interview. The Reading and Writing Podcast is brought to you by Libro FM. Libro.fm lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. You can pick from more than 185,000 audiobooks, including bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers. You'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there, but you'll be part of a different story, one that supports your local community and your local bookstore. If you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to get more books into your busy life. You can listen during your commute while doing chores, walking the dog, or just relaxing at home. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro.fm app. If you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, check out recommendations and curated lists from people who know audiobooks best, your local bookseller. Here's your special offer from the Reading and Writing Podcast. Get two audiobooks for the price of one today with your first month of membership with the code RWPODCAST at checkout. This offer is only valid for new members in Canada and the U.S. Check out Libro.fm today. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Monica Rodden, author of the debut novel Monsters Among Us. Monica, welcome to the podcast. Hi, it's good to be here. Thank you. Great. Well, if someone hasn't heard about your debut novel yet, Monsters Among Us, how would you describe the novel? So it is a young adult murder mystery set in a sleepy, rainy, fictional town in Washington state. And it's about a girl, Catherine Ellers, who comes home from college and she's seeking respite from a night she can't remember. But then tragedy strikes again and there's a mystery she has to solve. And through that, she gets to process her trauma. But I don't want to spoil anything more. Sure. Well, do you remember the original impetus or idea that led you to write Monsters Among Us? It was a couple different things. I read Alice Sebold's memoir, Lucky, about her rape at Syracuse University in, I believe, 1981. And it was incredibly harrowing. And it was kind of commentary on how victims of sexual assault typically have to be, you know, quote unquote, perfect. You know, they can't be drunk. They can't have known their perpetrator. And Alice Sebold was attacked in an alleyway by a stranger who had a knife when she was wearing sweatpants. And when she went to report her rape, the detectives were sort of like, oh, another, okay, what happened? And then when they realized she sort of ticked all these boxes of what they believed a rape victim to be, then her case was taken seriously. And that's obviously terrible. And so drawing from experiences like those, as well as my own experiences, I set out to create a story about a girl who suffered a trauma through no fault of her own, no matter what choice she made, and gets to heal from it. And so what was your journey to getting Monsters Among Us published? Oh, boy. <laughs> I, so I started writing books when I was 24, and I 
kind of thought, I'm like, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm been told I'm a good writer all my life. This shouldn't be too hard. It was very difficult. And I was very determined to be traditionally published. I lived in Blacksburg, Virginia at the time. And I was a friend of a friend of a friend of Kira Cass, who is a phenomenally successful young adult author. She writes uh, the Selection series. And she told me to just really try my hardest to pursue traditional publication. So I actually wrote two other novels before this one, both of which didn't get picked up. They weren't quite strong enough. And it looks like for this one, third time was the charm. And so what kept you going? I mean, you said those two uh, weren't strong enough. I mean, do you have a sense now of why they weren't strong enough? And, and, and what were you kind of learning along the way? Definitely, I do. I, I think one of the hardest but most rewarding parts of being a writer is learning your strengths and weaknesses. <laughs> and I had to be very honest with myself that even though I was able to craft language in, in kind of a, a nice, melodious, beautiful way, and, and I, I was able to produce a good story idea, my pacing was just all over the place. I would sort of meander into different plot lines. And it was actually through finding a really good friend and editor, Justin, who I have to give a shout out to, who really taught me the craft of storytelling and of plotting and pacing. And once I honed those skills and I edited uh, this manuscript, we got the call from New York in two weeks. It was quite quick after that. Wow, that's that's very quick. And so what do you what do you think you learned specifically about plotting and pacing? Is it possible for you to kind of define that? Yeah, definitely. There was a really good phrase that I found very helpful where you see the arc of a story like cresting waves that get bigger and bigger and bigger, finally kind of getting into this climax of a big storm. And the imagery to me, that really helped me to see sort of how a story has to progress and the stakes have to get higher and higher and higher. And sometimes you have to put aside the pretty language and get on with the story. And so you mentioned that Monsters Among Us is a young adult novel. I'm curious why you chose young adult and if your previous two novels that you had written were young adult as well. This is actually a really funny question because I, my second book, I tried to write like a a police procedural a little, a little bit. I love murder mysteries and detective novels. And so I wrote this story and it was following a bunch of adult detectives. And my agent was just like, they all sound like they're 16. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, Oh, and she's like, that's not a bad thing. It just, it shows that your strength is definitely writing teenage characters. And actually, I I just finished a draft of my my next novel, and I got it back from a reader, and <laughs> he texted me, and he goes, "You captured teenage insecurity and insincerity just perfectly." <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "I know this is a compliment, but it is making me question my character." <laughs> well, I'm curious. Was there a point where you decided to write about gastroparesis? an illness that you battle in your own life, in your fiction, in your novel, Monsters Among Us? Yes, definitely. And I'm glad you brought that up because it's the reason I started writing. I was going to be a teacher, initially an English teacher, and I have a master's degree. Actually, it is sitting in a box somewhere. 
And I, as I was going through my student teaching program, I just got really sick. I was super stressed out. I wasn't sleeping. I would be nauseous all the time. And it it didn't matter what I ate or didn't eat. It was just constant. And then I started throwing up my dinners in the morning, just completely undigested one day. And that just kept continuing every day. And my husband was in medical school at the time. And he's like, you know, I don't think this is the flu. And I went to the doctor and it took a while, but I I did finally get diagnosed. And because I was so sick at the time, I actually had to turn down a teaching job. And that was really, really hard. I was, you know, 23 with two degrees and my husband's in medical school killing it. And I'm just sitting at home, you know, going to FedEx and faxing my prescriptions to Canada to try to find a medication that worked. And Thankfully, I had the the privilege and the support to just stay home and and try to get better and manage this illness. And I actually put it in my book. Uh, I don't want to give too many spoilers, but gastroparesis is a a key plot line in the book, and and that was very satisfying to me because you know chronic illnesses they have very little they make very little sense. And you feel very overwhelmed by them. They don't provide you clear answers. And by putting it in my book and making it like a clue in the mystery, I was able to turn it into an answer. And that was really satisfying. Great. Well, are there writers or novels that inspired you on your own writing journal? I mean, your own writing journey, as you talked about earlier of writing these two earlier novels and now this one? Oh, yeah, definitely. I... I'm a huge Stephen King fan. I love all that dark, those dark horror novels. And (laughs) it was so funny. Growing up, I sort of had to hide Stephen King the way other kids might hide pornography because (laughs) my mom was super concerned that I was just reading the darkest material at a very, very young age. And now she's great. She's super supportive. She's read all the drafts of all my novels. So it's, it's funny. I get to tease her about it now. So definitely the dark stuff like Stephen King, but also I, I think I retain a little bit of that, that inner teacher. I do love the classics and I think it would be awesome if teenagers would really like the classics. So every book I write sort of draws a little bit on a classic novel. And this one borrows the atmosphere of Wuthering Heights as well as some of the themes. Well, you said that earlier that you had just finished a draft of your next novel. Is it continuing with any of the characters or story from Monsters Among Us? It is not. They're All my novels tend to be standalone. I, I really admire authors who write sequels because for me once once the book is done to me it's like a a closed chapter and i guess that's just sort of how i how i write so no the books are are totally separate but to me that's really fun i get to kind of explore a whole new world and the people in it sure well given your experience that you've discussed of writing these three manuscripts and then having Monsters Among Us published, what writing advice would you offer for those who are working on their own stories and novels? I think you have to find honest critiques. And Stephen King actually has a a good bit about this in his book on writing, which I can't recommend enough, where 
he's actually very critical of writing groups and writing critique groups because sometimes like people are friends and they won't be hard enough on you or give specific enough advice to really improve your writing. So one thing I work one thing I did was I worked with like freelance editors. I worked with a couple of different freelance editors and then I found Justin who is also a friend but also able to be very mean to me when I need it. And I think the 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 thing I think a lot of writers do is they are very proud of their work and very excited by it at the start and they just want to show it to friends which I think is a really good starting point. But I think you kind of have to move past that in order to really grow as a writer. Well, you mentioned freelance editors. Did you find those online or what was the process? Was it something word of mouth from other writers? How did you go about finding them? Yeah, so I found uh, my first freelance editor online and she was amazing. She actually helped me land my literary agent because this was with the first manuscript I wrote. Oh my gosh, back in 2015, if I'm remembering correctly. And the manuscript, it was such a cool idea. I want to get back to it eventually. It's about a serial killer in high school. It's just a lot of fun. And the... The novel was getting interest from agents, but not getting picked up. And so once I worked with the literary agent, or sorry, once I worked with the freelance editor, I was able to land a literary agent with the revised manuscript. However, it just wasn't strong enough to get picked up for a book deal. And do you mind uh, my asking the the name of that freelance editor you worked with? Oh my gosh. It was Anne Howard, I think. And she was uh, just wonderful. And I actually reached out to her when I got signed with Random House. And I was like, do you remember me? I worked with you like five years ago. And she goes, oh, I do remember you. And she was like, I, I thought you had a lot of talent and I'm so glad to to see that you got signed. And And she was like, it's still it's like, it's a hard profession, but I'm, I'm glad you've got your foot in the door. And so that was very cool. That's great. So Perfect. what novels or nonfiction books have you read recently that you enjoyed? So the most recent book I read was There, There by Tommy Orange. I don't want to get into too many spoilers, but the book I'm outlining now deals with how a lot of crime interest deals with cases of missing and murdered white women, but there's a crisis this country with missing indigenous women that's just not looked into. So I'm trying to read more about books by indigenous writers. So I've been reading some Sherman Alexie and then There There by Tommy Orange was a beautiful book. I, I read books on my phone at night when I'm supposed to be sleeping and I'll just screenshot quotes that I like and one of the ones from there, there was about this character who just like drums and taps and fidgets a lot. And the scene is written in second person. And Tommy Orange says something like, you didn't know that you could have done something else rather than tap on all the surfaces of your life as though looking for a way in. And I thought that was beautiful. That's great. Anything else you've been reading? I've also been reading True Crime Addict, which is about the disappearance of a white woman called Maura Murray, which is a case that rightfully fascinates a lot of people. She went missing in the early 2000s, and 
She really should have been found by now. She went missing in the space of about six minutes after a car accident and has never been seen since. So it is interesting reading all the theories about what people think happened to her. Wow. Well, where can people find you online if they want to learn more about you and your novel? Yeah. So I am on Twitter at Monica Rodden. I also have a Facebook group, Monica Rodden Author. And you can find me on Instagram at Monica Rodden as well. And I have a website, MonicaRodden.com. But if you want to see pictures of my dog, definitely go to Instagram. (laughs) Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Monica Rodden, author of the novel Monsters Among Us. The book is on sale now, so go buy a copy. And Monica, thanks for doing this interview. Yeah, thanks so much. I really enjoyed it. Great. Now stay tuned for a brief excerpt from Monsters Among Us, read by the author, Monica Rodden. The clifftop was a 10-minute walk, and she'd have to walk because her bike was in the garage, and opening that door would definitely wake her parents. She told herself if it was raining hard, she wouldn't go. She wasn't totally reckless. But thankfully, the night was almost clear, with just a faint drizzle falling. She zipped up her coat to her chin, shoved the note into her pocket, and took a full 30 seconds to close the front door with white and mittened hands. It was freezing outside, so she walked fast, her stomach rising up to her throat. She swallowed. Nerves. Relax. At least you won't get bug bites. Rain dotted her hat, caught on her eyelashes. She blinked to clear them, and they fell onto her cheeks like tears. She came up the narrow road lined with trees, feeling almost warm by the time she reached the end. An opening in the trees revealed a wide clearing, a hundred or so yards across, shaped like a half circle, the cliff's edge the circumference. It was completely deserted. A single lamppost illuminated the guardrail that curved like a smile at the edge. She walked across the clearing towards it, blinking at the yellow glow for a moment before looking past it to the long drop. Amy? She spun around, facing the clearing again and the road leading to the clifftop. Someone was approaching out of the darkness. Hey, she said as he came toward her. She tried to make her voice calm, but it shook slightly. I got your note? She said it like a question, but then he nodded at her and asked if she had brought it, and when she handed the note to him, her logical brain started to whirl, adjusting to this new development. He had a scarf tied around the lower half of his face to block the cold, but she could see his eyes, a half inch of hair fringed under his hat. He wasn't who she'd been expecting, or was he? The glow of the lamppost shot his eyes white, lit his hair to amber, and it was hard to tell what colors he was made of. She blinked, squinted, trying to place him, faces shifting in her memory one after another. You know everyone in this town, her mother had told her once. You fed everyone in this town. The scarf and the light were throwing her off. She could tell he was older, and the more she looked at him, the more familiar he seemed, like she had sold him bread from behind a folding table or handed one to him on a front porch. You tell anyone you were coming, he asked. She shook her head. Her breath steamed in front of her in quick bursts. I'm a dragon, she suddenly wanted to say. See? He stepped toward her. She took a step back. He chuckled, a low, soothing sound that she'd heard before, that she recognized. 
Unlike his voice, his laugh was almost exactly the same through the scarf. She knew who he was. As he moved forward, she stayed where she was and watched him, tilting her head upward a little, because he was taller than her. There was a bad taste in the back of her throat, and she felt her fingers sticking together inside her mittens. Half his face was wrapped in thick wool, and his eyes gleamed down at her, and she suddenly felt as if she'd walked out into a busy street, and there wasn't time to step back. A car was coming too fast, almost like it had to hit her. But why? Everyone else she knew had kissed someone. It wasn't a big deal, so why? Because I don't want to. I thought I did, but I don't. This isn't what I thought it would be like, and I changed my mind. Can I do that? Here in the cold, and you walked in the rain, and so did I, but can I say no? Even now. He was a foot from her. He pulled the scarf down to his neck, and with his other hand, reached out to brush her hair from her face. No. She started to say it, actually, sucked in a breath to tell him so, but then she felt his hand on her skin the back of her neck, and every tiny hair there shot up rigid, erasing the words inside her like a cloth on a whiteboard. She was still, silent, pliant, and pleading, and nothing had even happened yet, but she knew it would. Something shifted inside her. Everything was different. Her blood was rushing from her hands to her heart, and her stomach was fighting to crawl out her throat, and she wanted to scream, but that was stupid. Nothing was wrong. He was just going to kiss her and leave, but behind her was a clifftop, and she was a statue in the night, waiting for him to smash her to pieces and throw her off the edge, into blackness and infinity. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.